Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. So, Bud, great to see you do the Winston reaction over the weekend. Always creative with the titles. And uh, I will admit that uh, it got a nice chuckle out of me when I saw that pop into the podcast feed on my phone there. But uh, great for fan base and for team to get a victory. Uh, we're not certainly not going to downplay that. And we don't know how many victories there are out there to, to get. Uh, we'll give you an idea as to maybe if that victory was deserved or, you know, some of the lessons that you could take from it. Uh, overall, it's just, just kind of a flawed football team. Not like our sponsors and perfect uh, Louisiana hot sauce, Tarpon Sellers. Great people, great product, tarponsellers.com. Like Bud said a couple weeks ago, uh, have them back in the back of your minds, whether it be Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever. It's uh, great to have a holiday gift and Great uh, to support people that make the Nolcast possible. So we got some listener questions. I'm excited to that we'll kind of weave our game review into those. Uh, this may be one of our shorter game reviews in general, just because like you kind of know what this team is, and and for me this week it kind of just really settled for me. It's a wildly limiting team that is going to have to just scratch and claw for everything that comes to it. And this Saturday was just a, a real firm remember uh, reminder of that to me. But uh, let's go into it. Let's jump into some of the details of the game, some of the more macro uh, aspects of what to expect for the rest of the season. And with that, we'll jump into tonight's old cast. Yeah, man. So I actually had a chance to go back and watch this one today. Uh, I was you know, excited uh, to see exactly how Florida State was operating. I got to tell you something here. I, I think... Like just from a pure offensive play caller standpoint, these guys might deserve a raise. They are trying so many different things, and basically, they just don't have personnel to do it um, in any way. And yet, they're still finding some ways to score some points against the teams that aren't, you know, much better than them. Now, there are some teams that come up on the schedule that, that I think are probably just much better, and uh, we'll, we'll probably hear some calls for the offense coordinator and the head coach to be fired. Uh, because they may not score any points. Um, there could be a goose egg or something on the schedule. We'll we'll see. But they, you know, they get a Jordan Travis who looked a little bit healthier uh, than he had in previous weeks, and they found a way to kind of make some chicken salad here. Uh, now a lot of screens, some creativity in the run blocking, which they've had in pre- in prior weeks too. They tried to take a lot of shot plays. Um, but one of my main takeaways here was with Jordan and with this pass protection. Right, and with these receivers, that there really is no drop back game. You have quick game, you have a lot of the screen game, and you have the shot game, which is how they're trying to set up stuff downfield. And they they did call a pretty number, pretty good number of shots down the field, and and really didn't hit them uh, very much. But like they're you know, they're trying to call them. Um, one of the things that I think was the biggest takeaway though is that they tried to use max protection a lot more in this game, and. I am very concerned about this because I understand why they're doing it. I think it's probably a good idea. Yet they had seven and even eight man protections where it was still a jailbreak when Syracuse, I like to think of it almost as uh, you ever count cards, right? Or like a, like a box count. Are, are you plus one on the pass rush? Are you even up? So if you're plus one, that's a normal, like that's as five protectors for, for four rushers. Right. I mean, you had situations where you literally were plus three 
So you have three surplus blockers for Syracuse's rush, and they're still getting almost instantaneous pressure. Uh, now, part of this, I think, could be attributed to a lack of continuity along this offensive line because they have had so many combinations. It was nice to see Maurice Smith back in there. I don't think he's 100%. Scott clearly isn't. DLT, I mean, is he ever going to be the same player this year that he was last year? Gibbons, we know, is dinged up a little bit, although I thought he played okay. That's concerning as hell, man. Because Syracuse is a good defense. Not a great defense, but but a good one. And still, like, you can't be plus three blockers to rushers and allowing almost instantaneous pressure because, I mean, the whole point of that is basically to buy yourself enough time to let let these subpar receivers run around for a long time and, and get open because they're not really going to get open and run in their, their normal stuff. Uh, that that was that was problematic for me, man. Not not, not going to lie. Yeah, and it's to see if Jordan can't kind of organically stumble into something with his legs uh, as well during that time. And uh, you're right, there are some things even when you go back and look at it where you'll see you'll have two guys blocking one guy and then they'll get a little confused in a pass off or something like that. There, there's obvious issues with continuity and Robert Scott's given it everything in the world. And he's just not, uh, I mean, he can barely move his feet right now. I mean, he's uh, I'm not being critical of the kid. In fact, I'm really impressed by a lot of what the offensive line uh, are giving you right now from an effort standpoint. And we've talked about this, I believe the past two weeks, I know we did the week prior, but Scott, uh, I'm not certainly not being critical of the kid. Uh, is nothing but a liability. And, you know, all, not all, but a vast majority of your offensive linemen are uh, a massive liability when it comes to pass protection right now. Uh, One, you were never that great at it. And two, some of the injuries and afflictions that you're carrying are just making you exceptionally, exceptionally limited. Yeah, so that's obviously problematic. You know, they, I'm not real impressed with with what they're doing in the quick game right now. Part of that, I think, is you just don't have guys we're going to win in one-on-one. And so if you have Jordan Travis and, and you have uh, an offense that you, you in, I think FSU correctly anticipated that Syracuse would most likely try to stop the run game if Travis was in there. It's what we know the weight coaches told uh, the, the ESPN broadcast team. Louisville, uh, I think, would have done the exact same thing. And Syracuse did, did pretty much try to take away the run. And so one of the FSU's answers to that was the screen game. And ultimately, I thought, like on a down to down basis, the the screen blocking actually was not that bad. You know, it was something they, they clearly emphasized in practice that week. But man, the misses were uh, like some of the bonehead mistakes were very costly. You know, now one of them turned into a damn touchdown, so that's helpful. Uh, but like Ken McDonald missing that block is is a, a fairly big deal. Uh, turns into an interception that like that's not Jordan's fault, right? McDonald is is an upperclassman. He's been in the system for two years now, and uh, he's got to he's got to make that block. Yeah, I mean, there's uh there's larger things that you can talk about. That that's a great uh, kind of microcosm of where Florida State is. Cam McDonald has a pretty decent game. Cam McDonald mentally checks out at a critical point and gives up. You know, you just can't let a guy get inside there, uh, and you do it. And that's a guy that's not of you know, not a true freshman lost in the situation. I just think that's kind of a microcosm as to where you are. You'll have guys have good individual efforts throughout the vast majority of a game and then have these massive, uh, you know, whether you want to call them brain farts, laps and concentration, whatever. But yeah, that's a, that's a good little place <clears throat> to kind of where you are right now. Uh, Jordan has moments where you see him 
make what I will classify as slight progressions. I'm not trying to build up uh, too much there. I will say that it was a it was I was nice to see him change his uh, throwing arm slot a couple times. That not so much that I'm baffled, you know, blown away by that. But what I do think that is is that's a guy who's starting and he's it's a long time coming, starting ever so slightly to get more comfortable doing something. Cause that's more an instantaneous thought thing. That's not something like, Oh, I need to sit here, process it, do it. Um, so Jordan has light years to travel when it comes to being a reactionary quarterback. But uh, maybe if you want to be particularly positive, you might extrapolate uh, a couple small things that you saw on Saturday that let you know that maybe he's taken, uh, but the smallest of baby steps towards being better in that field. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on, on that. Um, a couple things diving into the numbers here, now that I got the advanced stats for the game, it, it backed up a little bit of, of kind of what I was looking at. Um, so FSU, much better success rate, obviously, uh, than, than Syracuse had. FSU was the better team on a down-to-down basis, uh, but Syracuse was, was the more explosive team for pretty much all of the game with the exception of the fourth quarter. Uh, obviously, we, we saw Jordan run around, and it's not like either team had, you know, an insane amount of explosiveness here. Uh, w- one thing, though, that FSU did a, a fairly decent job of this game, uh, compared to Syracuse, actually, uh, was staying out of like the rush for no gain or or loss. I think that is sort of one of the hidden angles of Jordan is that you do have to play on your heels a little bit more unless you've just decided to attack, and that that is both good and bad from a defensive perspective. FSU didn't have a whole lot of times where they got like knocked off their track and then tackled for zero. You know, they were consistently able to get, and and this is not a success, obviously, right? Like success rate is not defined as getting two yards on first down, certainly. Uh, but they they were able to get, you know, two yards one yard, three yards, and against almost anybody else on this schedule not named uh, UMass, that that will get you beat. But against Syracuse, I think it was enough to keep them in somewhat of a manageable second down. And this is why watching the game, breaking down the game, um, you know, combined with with, with the stats-based approach, because we obviously love the data, I think is, is, is useful. They'll have to do a lot better against North Carolina. They're probably going to need you probably need to think you need to score what forty to, to have a real shot against North Carolina, given your defense, maybe thirty five or something like that. Yeah, I mean, you got to get, in my opinion, you got to get at least get thirty six, thirty seven points. You got to, you know, get into the high mid thirties to even entertain it. So, I think that's fair. So, you know, or you just have some crazy game like you did last year. But uh, you know, this is the North Carolina was not one of the games at any time in the season we thought was a particularly good matchup for Florida State. So. Uh, you just go there, see if you can get some things right. And, uh, you know, if you've got to, uh, I hate to even use this term, but, but uh, you know, if you got to get some younger guys some burn and, and realize that uh, you've got a bye week coming up and maybe need to protect your roster and go into getting a little bit more healthy, then maybe you do try to do that in whatever limited uh, capability. But the North Carolina conversations for our next podcast, not this one, and we'll talk a little bit more about it then. Um, anything else you want to mention on the offensive side of the ball before we uh, slide over? Obviously, it was nice to see Corbin and uh, <clears throat> Trishon, we'll, we'll say, what, Sean squared, uh, if you want to refer to that as your backfield. So Sean squared and Travis touched the ball almost 70% of your offensive plays, something like that, uh, which is 
kind of what you want or think this offense has to be, I wouldn't expect Florida State to get too far away from that. Uh, no, I, I would try to do that as best I can uh, and, and certainly make sure the defense accounts for it. I, I don't know, man. I just, I don't. Can you really build on what you did on Saturday? Maybe you can. If Jordan is healthy, obviously, like, like I, I think you try to involve him a lot more in the run game, both in terms of like you know using his legs, but also using the threat of his legs. Some of the option stuff, maybe you build on it, but in the back of your mind, I think as a staff, you're also thinking, damn, like this kid gets hurt every single game. So that is a little bit uh, tough for us out there. Uh, but no, that, that's that's kind of the main thing. Uh, before we shift to defense, I, want, I do want to give a, sh- a shout out to the legendary team at Hamilton Home Loans. Another home loan today. I saw Shannon on Twitter at No Loans giving them a shout out. Awesome job, 844-FSU loan. Find out why more than 200 NOLCAST listeners have now decided to get their mortgage or refi through the legendary team. It's 844-FSU-LOAN. Tell them we sent you. And uh, like I mentioned, Shannon, first of all, he's always in a good mood to give you a loan. But uh, he's, he's probably in a great mood this week after, after a win. I've not talked to him yet. Shannon, like many of our sponsors, uh, even some of your hosts, is nothing but a big old fan who rides the emotional waves. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure he would be fun to speak with this week. Uh, but as you suggested, nothing but a pro and great to work with 365 uh, days a year. But uh, hitting him up after Florida State victory, probably even all the more enjoyable. So, uh, but we'll slide over to defense here. Um, yeah, what a what an interesting group to evaluate here, huh? I mean, I just... Uh, Not great. I, I both am really critical of your coaching and have a, almost a decent amount of sympathy for him as well. I just, uh, I think an awful lot of your defense is being victimized by the unit that we just talked about. I, I just don't know how many real looks you're getting in many places uh, on this side of the ball. And it's hard to make, uh, you know, I, I still think you have to be held responsible, but I think it's making some of the changes and implications uh, for this this team is is a real, real challenge based off what they get to work with, uh, you know, in, in the kind of Sunday through Wednesdays uh, where you get to build and, and implement and hopefully make kids better. That's that's probably fair. Um, in fairness, maybe the drop off from from the first team offense to the scout team is not that big. So no, that's true. I don't know. Trying to trying to find some positives here. Uh, no, but in, in all seriousness. Secondary communication issues continued. I thought uh, that that's that's poor, and that ultimately I think is on coaching. I know there's some guys that maybe don't love the D coordinator, you know, on this team staff, whatever. You still wish they'd, they'd work together a little bit better as a unit. They've had a whole lot of injuries. Obviously, J- Jay is dinged up. Dent uh, should be back this week, I believe. Uh, that is a kind of one of those ten day mandatory sit out things. Read between the lines here. If you will, in uh, in what year we're in, still like I know we got guys are in and out of the lineup. No guys are dinged. I know Renardo, you know, Renardo Green has, I think, the foot. I, you'd, you'd like to see him not blow as many coverages as they do because ultimately, I wasn't like that disappointed with the defense. Again, on like a down to down basis, right? Uh, so, the you know, success rate, pretty good job overall. Held Syracuse to a 36% success rate. Now, in the fourth quarter and in the second quarter, it does seem like Syracuse had the right counters for what the defense was doing 
coming out. Like I, the, the first and third quarter defensive success rate was great. So it seemed like FSU had a good initial plan. FSU did make some adjustments at halftime. Uh, I thought they, the way they tried to play their contained stuff coming out of the half was a little bit different. I would have liked to see them maybe heat them up a little bit more uh, there after Syracuse tried to go with, with Schrader. Uh, again, not creating enough havoc with the front. Like the front was trying to play some contained stuff, I think, a good bit. And they did not work well together with the backers and like the safety whose job it was to be in run support. And it was a lack of team defense, ultimately, that I thought was a, a problem here. And so I, I would like to kind of go back to what FSU did at times last year, which was, hey, screw it, just blitz them, right? Uh, because they, I think they knew they really couldn't cover. And, uh, and Syracuse also knew FSU couldn't cover. And eventually they would get, they would get to that and, and they would get those first downs. Uh, Syracuse continued its trend of being pretty damn poor on passing downs. Remember we talked about this going into the game. Uh, so the success rate on passing downs for Syracuse, 14% overall. That's very good. Uh, one thing we did talk about, though, going into the game was um, standard down explosiveness. I remember we specifically said Syracuse has not been able to like hit home runs off play action. They have not been able to take opposing defenses ganging up to stop the run and loading up on early on, on those early downs and turn that into explosiveness. Guess what? They have not played FSU yet. And that was uh, a cure, seemingly, for them. They, they hit several explosive plays on those early downs. So not... Uh, anyway. Not great there, man. Uh, not Not great there. The problem is you got you're playing a couple quarterbacks coming up who are not gonna not gonna miss like Schrader does. You know, it's it's kind of just the nature of the beast. Howell is probably a little disappointing compared to preseason expectations. And he does have an offensive line that has been in major flux so far this year and is, is a large part of the inconsistency for uh, for the Tar Heels. But he's still a lot better than Schrader. I think DJU is as well. Obviously, he's not having a good year. I would definitely take the Leary kid at NC State over Schrader. We don't know what's going on with Miami. Van Dyke, probably I would take over Schrader, actually. Just how he played in the second half of that game. In the first half, I thought he was terrible against UVA. Boston College with the backup, we'll see. And then Florida, I would take both their kids, obviously, over Schrader. So you're going to be playing a lot better quarterbacks coming up. You are increasingly showing your weaknesses on film. And I, I have some worry now with Dennis Briggs being out likely for the year, according to Fuller today. Uh, I have some worry that, that you are probably running out of potential fixes and answers. And this is just going to be what it is. When I opened the podcast, I talked about just kind of the acceptance as to where you are with just the raw talent product. Uh, it, it is the defense. I really like what you have at defensive line. Losing Briggs sucks. Losing Briggs in the manner uh, that you did is really something that is is going to irk uh, a lot of people that care a lot, you know, care about this football program, and that'll that'll make next year's game at Louisville all the more spicy. But um, you're just limited, man. I mean, your level of athlete, and and I know it's real easy. Let's let's be honest, it's real easy to get frustrated when you see a big white guy running around picking up a hundred yards on. Uh, broken plays, but it, it just gives you an idea. The the raw level of athlete, even even in some of these units where we thought you were decent going into the year, still has such a 
level of improvement that has to be made. Um, and while Lundy's a, gr- a great athlete from an overall perspective, uh, really need him to probably try to lose 10 pounds or so just to be uh, a little bit more fluid and athletic. I realize he's a big boy. That's uh, it's not an easy ask, but uh, there's some times where he gets beat where you just, you know, a skill set for a linebacker in 2021, you got to have a little bit more lateral movement and quickness. And uh, he's a real good kid, gives a lot of effort, uh, but there's certainly some limitations where you're seeing on film. Not And, you know, look, not that those are unexpected. I mean, the reality of the situation is the reality of the situation. Kid's a giant out there, and he's playing linebacker. Um, trying to think of other stuff here. I thought Jamie Robinson played okay. I mean, he, he, he high-energy guy. You know, maybe not. Robinson played well. The two kids from South Carolina had a really good game. Really good game. Think about where this defense would be just without this year's transfers. I mean, not, not Fabian Lovett and stuff, but just – uh, you know what you got the two defensive line spots Robinson it's worse next year right you got to be you got to go hit some home runs in the portal again I mean you hit as good luck with that you won't replicate 11 okay I mean that that's that's as good as you could do uh but you've got to go out and find some real players definitely uh, maybe at every level of your defense this is why you go make a change at D coordinator Right, you bring a new guy. I don't expect immediate results next year with, with the new D coordinator because the talent's going to drop. Uh, I think you're doing a decent job recruiting that position. Obviously, if you can hold on to some dudes and maybe get one more in the boat, and then hopefully you're thinking 23. They know his system well. They're bought in. The offense can probably be better next year. I would think. Like it is hard for me to think the offense being worse next year. You don't lose anybody important unless I missed somebody. No, hopefully you get another wide receiver from Louisiana and get him in the mix. And yeah, uh, there's certainly some pieces that you need and Burrell to come back healthy. But yeah, no reason you shouldn't be better at offense uh, in theory. Now, who will be running that is a conversation for us to have many, many months from now. But uh, yeah, you should be better at offense for sure. Uh, you want to go? Uh, go some questions. Yeah, let's do some listener questions here. First question. This is kind of a an interesting one and. Uh, you know, we certainly want your feedback on everything that we do, but we will ask this up to kind of a, a broader community feedback from David. Uh, I saw this question, and it kind of reminded me when I uh, have tried to make plans to, like, go see a Rangers game over in Glasgow or something like that, because I know I've, you know, that's not something that I have many opportunities to do. David writes that he has been a, uh, First of all, he says, love your podcast. Thanks for always giving me something great to listen to. Certainly appreciate your listenership, David. I've been a Noel fan since the age of 12. It's a long story that I will not bore you with, uh, but I grew up and lived my whole life in Texas, eventually becoming a head football coach, my dad coaching, and then me coaching. I was never able to travel in the fall, so I've only had the privilege of seeing a few bowl games and never a game in Doak. At the age of 48, that finally has changed this year. I'm a principal now, not coaching, and I'm finally going to be able to come to a game. I could care less how good this team is this year. I am always a fan, and it will be a dream come true for me. I get to see Florida State play Miami in November. That's a hell of a game if you're only going to see one, David. Well done. My simple question is, Sod Cemetery, Unconquered Statue, Westcott Fountain, what else do I need to see? I fully believe this could be a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip for me, so please let me know if anything happens on game day uh, that I really don't need to miss. So, David, uh, yeah, let's hear your opinion, bud. Uh, David, certainly. Hope you have a great time when you get to come in November. That sounds like that'll be a pretty special trip for you. 
You know, I, I would go watch the marching chiefs warm up there at the baseball softball complex. I think that's pretty cool. I know a lot of people really enjoy gathering that. I also think like I would just, I would walk around and get a feel for, for the different tailgating scenes, right? Like walk by where the folks are tailgating at the circus, you know, taken. And I know you're going to go see the Westcott fountain. Make that walk down Jefferson. That's, that's a really pretty walk, you know, as, as you go, as you go down the hill. I like that quite a bit. Um, you're going to want to see the Unconquered statue. You're going to want to see the Bowden statue. Uh, Doak is a really pretty building. And I, I think, you should, especially from the outside, from the inside, it, it opinions may vary. Uh, but from the outside, I, I think it really is a, a pretty, pretty awesome structure to see. And uh, you know, as you're going over Stadium Drive there, uh, it's come over to see that is, is pretty cool. Um, obviously, stop at Mashover Township if, if you want and uh, get yourself a bite to eat. I, I would also say, like, first of all, I want to hear what Ingram says, but like, why don't, why don't we throw this out there to social, right? What, what Nolcast fans tell us and tweet at us and, and we'll, we'll point these to, to, uh, to David and La Mesa. Uh, what, what, like if you had to tell somebody, all right, pregame, what's one thing they had to do? So we got the sod cemetery. We got the unconquered statue. Definitely want to go see the Bowden statue, which is, by the way, you know, for the Miami game, where you're going to see all the recruits come in and out. And so you'll get to see all the families of the future parents come in there. Um, you know, the Westcott Fountain, for sure. I, I said walk down, walk down Jefferson, see the different tailgating scenes. So you know, by the circus, by the medical school, uh, you know, the IM fields. And, and just there's different kind of like people tailgate all over, but there are sort of different vibes at them, right? Um, you know, back when more of the Greek life was on campus, you could go and you could see some of those houses that were, you know, still more uh, full. Now, a lot of that is pushed over to Heritage Grove and, and depending on uh, your thoughts on that, like, let, let us know on Twitter. Uh, tweet us at Nolcast and like, let, let David know. I, I, I bet you there's, there's some stuff here that we're definitely missing that, uh, that I, I think he'd be interested in. What, what do you got, man? Yeah, no, I think you certainly mentioned. I mean, I would just I would just stress what you said as far as just walking around. I mean, just create as much time for you as possible. Uh, I, I think what you said about I would do the broader aspects of campus and then choose a starting point at the stadium. Uh, the Bowden statue is a good one depending on when you come there. Because like you said, if you're there, if that's your beginning point, that could be nice for you because you'll probably see a Florida State head, uh, assistant coach walking around doing some recruiting stuff. You'll see kind of the moving functional aspects of a program on game day, if that's your interest. And I mean like a coaching staff working it and recruits and their parents. And uh, so that's an interesting starting point. And then you can just kind of go out and around and uh, come back. I guess the sportsmanship statue is the last statue before Bowden. So if you wanted to see that one, you could see that one and then duck in the stadium. But uh, yeah, from the exterior, um, Doke is stunning. Uh, really a, a beautiful, beautiful building. And, you know, the baseball stadium's got some work to do and stuff like that. But most of the things surrounding it are uh, really nice to look at. So that would be uh, that would be my answer. And like you said, really interested to hear the broader feedback on that because there's uh, probably some things that you and I didn't, didn't mention on or specifically suggest to David. For sure. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and take whose question here. Um, by the way, congrats, to David, on uh, becoming a principal. That's that's awesome, man. That is sounds like quite the career. Uh, good for you, man. You want to take Michael's question? 
Yeah, Michael says, I've been listening to the podcast for several years now. My mom is an alumnus and was a marching chiefs in the early 80s when we went and played anybody and everybody at their stadium and won. I'm curious on your opinion and thoughts about three plays and if this is what Mike Norvell is looking for his offense as the year goes on. The first one is the screenplay that Cam missed the block. If he hits that block with defenders back facing inside, it's a one-on-one with a safety and nice odds. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly is the case there. And like you said, you're not too critical of Travis on that one. Cam's just got to make the block, and that's a, kind of a fundamental and relatively elementary expectation of a player in that situation. We, we've talked about this when Jimbo was here, when Willie was here. Uh, if I had podcasted when Jeff Bowden was here, it would have been very different. But also when now that Norvell's here. Your screen game is pretty much just looking out there and saying, okay, what are our numbers, right? Are, are we even up? I can throw the screen, and then my receiver just needs to make, needs to shake one guy. Obviously, if we're if we're plus one, you know, like blockers plus receivers, uh, that's awesome. And for minus one, guess what? Look elsewhere. Probably run the football or throw the ball to the other side of the field. We really shouldn't be minus one and throwing that ball. In this case, we're even, and uh, chucking the ball out there is the right decision. Travis sees it. He makes, I think, what's a fine throw. And obviously, the block doesn't get made. But yeah, man, like there's no doubt they're always going to use that uh, as, as an extension of the run game to make sure that you defend uh, the whole field. I think you have to. But one of the ways that you know under Willie and, and honestly, like under Willie, but also when Kendall was here, both those guys, uh, they would use that screen game as well, and it would be a little bit wider splits, right, with, with, with the receivers to kind of help simplify the reads for the quarterback and make them declare uh, a little bit earlier, but. Um, ultimately, everybody's going to use that, and I do think that's certainly part of Morvell's offense. Second thing he asks is pass early in the game to Parchman on what looks to be a post route that was thrown more up the middle. If he throws that with air into the right side of the field, that has the potential to be a touchdown. Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, I'm uh, you know quick to always uh, I'm, I'm careful to reference my own athletic uh, histories. I don't want to sound like I played at Florida State or anything like that, but as somebody that played some middle school quarterback. I mean, that's a that's a throw that you expect if he sees that uh, a middle school quarterback to make, where you've got a whole half of a field open and you really just need to throw it into it. At that worst case scenario, you have somebody crawl up his back, or maybe a receiver who slightly has to come back to a ball. But there's that really can't be an incompletion in that situation. So, you know, those are throws that Jordan's got to get a lot better at and uh, see in the field because if he sees that. And he still makes the throw that he does, where he tries to throw it on the line. Then eh, that's you know that's uh, it's not all that uh, <laughs> out of character, uh, maybe. But that's just something that's you, very rare. You get an easy throw to make, and that is one of the more easier throws that's offered in football. They're always going to try to set up shot plays and, and go vertical when they can. I mean, like that's the, how many shot plays they throw in this game? Six, seven. I mean, it was it was a good number. And this is not just like taking deep shots. Like they're literally trying to, they're trying to set up stuff because Jordan is not the best reader of defenses and their pass protection kind of sucks. Like they're trying to set up some max protect stuff here where guys can win. And as you mentioned with Jordan scrambling around. So, you know, we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens on that um, going forward. But I, I would not anticipate them taking less uh, or, or, or fewer uh, deep shots given the fact that they really can't, uh, can't pass for normally. No, it's it's really all 
all you can do. And you got to, you know, Jordan has the limitations, but he does have a pretty strong arm. And if he gets his chance to get his feet underneath him, he can kind of put it out there. And every once in a while, you stumble into a play like you found at Wake. Uh, third question coming from Michael is the deep pass on the deep pass on the last play of the third quarter. I like the deep shot call. If he has a little more air under the ball, but Clay catches that ball for a huge gain. Because if I remember correctly, he has a step or two on the defender. And yeah, um, you're right about that. And McLean, it's kind of interesting to see how they're using him uh, right now because it's very, you can tell that he's got a pretty modified route tree as far as what they're asking him of and trying to put him in position and places to succeed. Uh, kid that you think has all the talent in the world, but um you know, they're trying to bring him along at a speed in which he can handle and uh, try to keep him engaged here in a true freshman season that can be a little bit challenging when a kid doesn't have as much success as he thinks he's going to. Agreed on that. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and take whose question now? Hutch? Uh, yeah, Hutch says, thoughts on Travis Hunter being in Athens over the weekend? Yeah, never want to see that. Look, I think it's a pretty decent shot across the bow. You can... No, you don't want to make too much out of it. And at the same time, if you see a second trip made, then you can get real concerned. You know, I mean, I don't think there's uh, a whole lot more to do. A kid lives 65 minutes from Athens, went to Athens on a Saturday for a noon game, stuck around for a while, reaffirmed his commitment on Sunday. Uh, we'll see. Again, if, if this is a repeat thing, then everybody can get real concerned. If it's because a kid went to Athens, then, uh, uh, it's hard hard for me to blame somebody going over there and having a fun Saturday. If it was anybody but Travis Hunter, I'd be more worried. But just knowing what I know on background, I am not super worried about that situation. But you're right. like It's it's better if he doesn't go for FSU, obviously. Uh, I assume he communicated with them. Um, you know, a guy like who hasn't been to campus a million times, like a Travion Williams, or you know, maybe somebody who hasn't been committed for the longest time, like, like an Alu Ba. Those, those are the dudes that I think you have to be watching more closely right now. But certainly you don't like... Like I'm sure FSU would prefer Travis not go. Right? We'll see what happens, man. Ultimately, this is just going to come down to... like, Does Travis Hunter want to be a trailblazer or not? Obviously, he grew up a huge FSU fan. He knows what the program could be. Like, Obviously, this season, the, the program is not you know, where it's supposed to be. Georgia looks like the best team in the country or the second best. We actually debated this on Cover 3 and I I think right now I have Bama, but like long term I might actually have Georgia because I think I think if Georgia gets their guys back healthy on offense, you know they they could their defense is still going to be insane and they might actually be able to score some more points. So there's not a whole lot of FSU can do right now, you know. If if this was a situation where Travis Hunter was just going to pick pick the best program out there, he he probably would have already done it. <laughs> You're telling me we're not winning that uh, beauty contest right now, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like. It's not like they told him they were going to be good this year. He knows he's going to come in here and probably start. Obviously, the injury, glad to see that it's uh, maybe not season-ending. So, awesome. Our well wishes. But maybe it should be, bud. Maybe we could just put it on ice. and. No, I, I, I think he needs to get back for the playoffs if he can and, 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 and dominate. But I, I, I understand what you're saying. Okay. All right. Do you? Do you? You want that, you want that glory for Collins Hill? I got it. He, he's like a... He's like a Derwin in that way, I think. Just a guy that really like he's he's a he's a playing junkie. Yeah, you can tell what he does over the summer. Yeah. I mean, he's not uh he's not concerned with putting himself on bubble or in bubble wrap, definitely. All right, Steven's question. Hey guys, love the show. Question is there 
<laughs> Any talk about turning chop blocks into an injection like targeting. It feels like it is way more intentional and knocked out one of our key defenders out of the previous game. Feels like targeting is hopefully going to get fixed, as Bud has said, but I'm sick and tired of seeing these teams cut us and take guys out of the game. Feels like crime is worth small punishment right now. Off to eat my eggs with Louisiana hot sauce, Stephen. Uh, yeah, Bud, interested in your thoughts here. I know you've uh, talked a lot about some of the modifications that have been made and need to be made to the targeting rule. And uh, yeah, I'd be all for, you know, I think the conference does this. Uh, after each game week, don't they? Don't they uh, do some kind of review of uh, of action taken by offensive linemen? Maybe I'm way off guard there, but I, I believe there was some kind of review done previously. Uh, I think Georgia Tech's had a kid suspended by the conference uh, after after a game. Maybe again, maybe I'm really misguided there, but I believe that that to have been the case. I, I thought they did. I, I I thought they did, but I I. I feel like like you can suspend a guy for like like serious like, like egregious action. I, I'm just not into the ejection stuff unless there's like a real, real clear intent to injure. I've been very clear on this with the targeting penalty. I think we need to look at intent with targeting. Uh, we used to have intent with the spearing rule, and then they took it out when, when they moved to this targeting nonsense. And I think targeting is just purely like let's CYA for legal reasons. You know, it's not really making the game safer. I, I haven't seen any data that says. That it actually is. I mean, obviously, you're having maybe fewer head injuries, but now with the RPO stuff, I don't know. Everybody's just dropping eight now, so like you're having a lot more guys come downhill and hit. With the chop block, I, I mean, again, everybody's moving fast. Maybe line move a little bit less fast. I, I, I can see why the questioner would feel that way, and I get it. But at the same time, like you can unintentionally chop somebody. You know what I mean? They are moving fast. You may or may not know if, if the guy next to you is engaging them. Um, it sucks, but it, it's just been part of the game. Like I, I I'm not a, hugely in favor of like making all these rules where we just eject everybody. Like, like I think it, it, it's what did uh what did the Supreme Court justice say? Like you you know it when you see it, but it's hard to define. The the definition of pornography. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know it when you see it, man. You know when you see it, and we have uh, been fortunate to know when we see a great partner, and that's been uh, Matt Lewis and his team at Congruity. Matt's been, uh, as we're always quick to to brag on him, a great addition to our team. It's been great for Jonathan over at Select Shade and four other listeners of ours. So uh, <clears throat> whether it be to uh, talk about the Knowles or talk about how you can experience your business optimized, we certainly encourage you to reach out to Matt, whether it be via email, Knowles at Congruity. Uh, dot com or the phone number 844-247-4100. Again, 844-247-4100. All right. Uh, what else do we have for tonight? So two more questions here. One comes from Frank real quickly. What are your thoughts about Jimbo's challenges at A&M currently? Okay. Uh, so a couple things. Number one, A&M is very banged up uh, right now. I did look into this a little bit. A couple of their top receivers uh, are out right now, and they have uh, several guys in the secondary who are also out. Um, so FSU's not the only team dealing with injuries out there, and as we know, you got to keep playing the games. Games don't stop, but sometimes the, the flow of capable players uh, does stop, and uh, I think A&M is down some guys right now. They're also down you know, one of their quarterbacks, Haynes King, who 
I think is better than Calzada. Jimbo did pick him to start, but that battle also allegedly went like well, well into the fall. So who knows how much better he really is. We really only got to see him against Kent State, New Mexico, and I think part of uh, part of the game against Colorado. I will share this though. Um, I was sending some DMs and stuff to Bill Connolly the other day, and we were bouncing different ideas actually about how to refine our lie betting formula and customize it for coaches, right? And coach, uh, coach trends. And I am going through my G chat with you, which does not have the conversation with Bill. So now that I have been able to pull it up here, uh, it's a lot, a lot easier to actually find the information you're looking for. If, uh, if you pick the right one, if you're looking in the right place for sure, while you're doing that, I'll just real quickly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I certainly know there's an aspect of this fan base that has, you know, a deep dislike of Jimbo. I'll put it that way. And I won't say that to a very large extent, it's probably not earned. Uh, at the same time, Jimbo gave the program ultimate validation. The fact that a national championship was brought here without Bobby. Um, if you are always interested in the rumor mill, I'll tell you that there are some people who are close to Florida State. Um, or who have considered taking uh, roles at Florida State, who Jimbo has actually reached out to and spoken positively about the university and positive uh, about what the university can be with the right leadership. So I don't think there's some deep hate on Jimbo's uh, perspective towards Florida State or Tallahassee. Uh, I think he would probably do some things differently if he had a chance. Uh, It was a bad situation made uh, really taken into one area to where ultimately there had to be a parting of the ways and Texas A&M happened to be uh, the way to which he parted. So uh, I I know people, uh, it's never going to see somebody's, or somebody's heart's never going to break when Jimbo takes a loss. I get it. As far as I'm concerned, you know, wish the best to the guy, see what happens down the road. Here's the thing. This offense is not, taking advantage of the college rules enough. This is something we were actually on quite a while before Jimbo left. I'm going to read to you now, by year, the passing explosiveness ratings of the last 11 Jimbo teams. Okay? This is nationally. This is adjusted for opponent. So you do get credit for playing these big-time SEC teams, starting in 2010. All right. 88th, 42nd. 69, 27th, that's 2013. Again, Heisman Trophy winner, number one overall quarterback. Every single player on the offense got drafted. Didn't crack the top 25 in passing explosiveness. Then, 98th, 86th, 96th, 71st, 97th, 118th, 99th, 92nd. This offense does not create explosive plays. It does not put receivers in the NFL. And it does not take advantage of the college rules to create the home run shots that the best teams in college football are consistently doing game to game. It is just too damn hard to execute consistently. It's it's difficult to run. And you don't give your quarterbacks enough freebies down the field when you don't take advantage of some of the college spacing and legal man down field rules that are very selectively enforced. Period. It's a very pure offense. Obviously, like I understand if you're Jimbo, uh, you'd probably be a little bit annoyed, right? That 
like you have a very conceptually awesome offense and then these other guys run this stuff that you maybe think is beneath you and they score a million points. But guess what? Like you're not paid to coach in the NFL. You're paid to coach in college football. And uh, yeah, I, I don't see enough shot plays in this offense where they're literally just trying to get one guy open in order to hit explosive plays that you have to throw it to somebody perfectly in stride. You, you, you have to read it out. It's kind of West Coasty, if you will. They actually do create some explosive run plays, uh, but those are not quite as effective, obviously, uh, because of the frequency as the explosive passing plays are. Look, maybe if this next quarterback he has coming in uh, is is that good? I know some of our guys think he's the best quarterback prospect in this year's class. So we'll see. But those numbers are concerning, I think, right? And you just signed the guy to a 10-year extension. So maybe he'll adapt. Maybe he won't. If I uh, were a Texas a podcast now, I would be all over the idea of getting a real receivers coach in there and actually having somebody to develop the receivers because they have to make the, their cuts and their breaks at the exact right time in concert with the quarterback. And they have signed a lot of four- and five-star receivers there in the last four years. And they're not getting a damn thing out of it. But they are pretty banged up. Like for this year, I will say maybe Jimbo was actually making some of these changes. They were going much more tempo in the spring game. And they were going much more tempo in like the first five quarters of the year before that kid got hurt. So maybe they felt like tempo was the way to go. Obviously, you know, one of the absolute worst fourth down coaches and, uh, you know, super, super slow on offense, limiting the number of actual at-bats you get is not, not, the, not the way to succeed if you, uh, if you have better talent. All right, bud. Uh, you put something out on social media over the weekend. I almost feel bad about it asking you because if you're, if you're watching this YouTube or if you're watching this podcast on YouTube, you'll see that Bud is somewhat podding in the dark, evidently took a little shot of steam to the eye over the weekend. But uh, I did see you put out a pretty, pretty wicked picture of a 19-pound uh, brisket cooked over 20 hours. And uh, we'll just end this podcast with you waxing poetically for 45 seconds or so about this uh, brisket creation because it, it certainly looked pretty damn good what uh, what I saw on Twitter there. Yeah, man. Uh, so obviously, Nolcast is a, a lifestyle brand and a tailgating brand and everything. So we you know, had to had to buy a smoker as part of that. And I uh, feel like we should talk about that on the show to document it here. Anyway, yeah, I had this brisket. Uh, had it in the fridge for, uh, for a couple months, actually. Uh, I think I bought it in like, uh, maybe March had a little funk to it, right? But like it, w- it was cryovac, so it really didn't age like that that crazy. And now now is the day to pull this thing out. And uh, um, this is not food advice, it's not food safety advice. But I, I I trimmed it real nice to about I don't know quarter inch, eighth of an inch, uh, fat wise. Fired up a smoker. It is a pellet smoker. It almost feels like cheating. Um, I'm normally a Komodo Joe guy. I just wanted to try this new one out, and I put it on about. 10 o'clock uh, Saturday night, 2.25, and uh, had the water pan in there, had the drip pan over the water pan, so you know, no, no flare-ups or anything like that. Pulled it off about uh, about 7.55, so that's what, 22 hours for a, for a 19-pounder? Now, granted, I probably trimmed off two pounds of, of, of trim. Mm-hmm. It turned out great, man. I rubbed it down with uh, a little like Dalmatian style rub with a little bit of garlic powder in there as well. And I will say one thing, I was going to spray it with apple cider vinegar. Right. And I, I, I didn't actually have any apple cider vinegar. 
that I could put into my sprayer because the apple cider vinegar that I had was like the nice quality stuff that has the mother reel in there. But if you ever try to put that into a sprayer, it doesn't really work, right? And I didn't have a mop uh, contraption handy and I was trying to get out there and spray real fast because my son was was sick and then we had to go uh, um, take care of boogers and whatnot. Uh, so I was trying to just get out there and spray this thing to, to keep it you know, from, uh, from drying out. So I actually used red wine vinegar in a pinch and I really wasn't thinking about like, ooh, is this a bad idea? And it could have turned out poorly. And I'm not saying that it was a great idea, but it didn't detract from the brisket. And uh, it was, that was kind of gourmet actually, dude. Like it was, it was really nice. It didn't get dried out at all. Uh, the fat rendered pretty damn nicely. If you got a 19 pounder, you're going to have a little bit of issue, but you know, obviously between the, the point and the flat, there's a little bit of fattiness inside there. It's hard to get it fully rendered. Uh, I attempted at 196 and, and pulled it off, let it rest for like 30 minutes. Uh, it's sliced super nice. And, uh, yeah, man, I got pictures on, on, uh, on my Twitter. Maybe we'll put, also put some on the Nolcast Instagram page. Uh, but hey, Instagram's back now, so that's that's always good. Encouraging, good. you know. We'll uh, yeah. always end the podcast every other episode with a little brisket conversation or something like that. So if it, uh, you know, if you don't enjoy the football talk, just know that there may be two minutes of brisket at the end. Uh, so you want a little more recruiting talk too? Uh, never will. Will never will I turn down recruiting talk. Let's hear it. All right. So I remember what, what? Do you remember what team I told you it would benefit FSU the most? If they had a bad season, was it Miami? Well, okay, like non FSU immediate rivals, uh, Auburn or LSU. LSU, LSU is uh, three and two. They now have to, and their run defense is uh, pretty poor. Hundred six in the country in, in run defense per Conley's numbers. They now have to go uh, play at Kentucky, where they're an underdog, and that's a really bad scheme fit for them. Uh, they have to go play Florida. I don't think Florida's going to overlook that one, most likely. And Florida will probably get back to running the football, you know? So, again, if you have a really terrible run defense, not necessarily the team you want to play. Ole Miss can probably score some points on you, and that's 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 a road game. Then they go to Alabama, right? Uh, and then they also host Arkansas. Arkansas can, against most teams not named Georgia, run the football pretty effectively. I don't think they're going to go... 0-5 in their next five, but it damn sure wouldn't shock me if they went one and four to drop to uh to drop to four and six mm-hmm. on the year. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't wouldn't hate to see that happen. Uh it would be fascinating to see what would happen and if Florida State is a place where kids would, you know, it's it's not as simple as like, oh, kid decommits from one place, wants to go somewhere else. Uh but if Florida State is a program, a place where it could pick up kids as maybe they become concerned as to if there's going to be coaching continuity there. It's not exactly a uh, you know beacon of stability in the college football world right now. Uh, but you're right. That is uh, one of the few people that Florida State really overlaps with right now. I mean, I don't know who they go get, but like, there's a lot of off-field stuff there. It also struck me that if you read The Athletic, uh, Feldman, who wrote a book, with with Orgeron, uh, also reference some off field stuff. I will say one of the media tricks is if like if you know like who different media guys are tight with, 
once they start saying, okay, this is like hot seat talk, then I'm like, oh, okay, it's real. Like that now, now it's on. I mean, like there's one guy out there in national media who is like super tight with like Urban Meyer, uh, that coaching tree agent combo. Um, although obviously like everybody's getting off the Urban Meyer jokes right now. Just here to see the grandkids, bud. Here, here to see the grandkids. They, uh, yeah, they, 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 they drag me away. Uh, the, the, these, these evil folks drag me away to the other side, other side of this bar that I own. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll continue to watch as kind of the coaching carousel spins, but, uh, yeah, that is a, that is an interesting one to keep an eye on. Certainly. Um, I know there's a couple big fish that immediately come to mind, but we can, you know, we can talk about that, uh, later on as, as this hypothetical maybe turns into more of a reality. All right. Uh, you want to go in this thing? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Enjoyed it as always. Uh, if you get a chance to give us a five-star review, whether it be uh, Apple Podcast or wherever else you may see, uh, that is greatly appreciated. Subscribe, like if you choose to consume via YouTube. Any other suggestions that Bud may have for you, uh, I'll certainly turn it over to him at this time. Uh, yeah, hit, hit that thumbs up button on YouTube. Make sure you share it. You know, If, if you're in any like Noel Facebook groups, Throw it up in there. I feel like we have, have a good show, and uh, obviously it's growing, growing like crazy. But we want to we want to grow even faster. So cool. We'll see you guys next time. Uh, preview time with uh, North Carolina. I I will say our North Carolina podcast on twenty four seven Sports is one of the absolute best out there. So if you guys want to go listen to the Inside Carolina podcast, I listen to quite a bit of them uh, for my job. So I'm very informed on this UNC team, and I look forward to having a great preview. Uh, two days from now. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.